Cairo, Seattle. It's time to get schooled with a professor, John Clayton. Hey, welcome to Schooled with a Professor. Is this uh, crazy time right now as we try to go through the virus and try to you know keep things up but there's still plenty of things going on in the national football league dan graziano from espn joins us and so dan i mean how do you think the nfl is getting reviewed for pretty much taking a business as normal attacked yeah i think there's i mean i think there's, there's a split right i mean i think there's some people that are happy for the diversion right like if i can stay up on my nfl news at least give me some sense of you know, some connection to normalcy at a time when I can't watch my basketball or baseball or golf or all that kind of stuff. So I think there's that. And then, I, but I also think there's a sense of like, well, you know, why are they the only ones not affected, right? Like, like that's the, that doesn't seem fair. Everybody else seems to be giving up something. Now they're going to, you know, they're not going to have the draft they wanted to have and they're not going to have the off season programs they wanted to have. But I, I mean, it's, you know, if they're right now, they're not even talking about contingency plans for the regular season. And I think they're hoping that they'll be able to have one because it'll be sort of beyond this. But uh, as of now, they have been the one sports league that has been able to, to continue as normal. And I'm sure there are plenty of people that feel um, plenty of different feelings about that on both, on both ends. Yeah, my, my thought was, because uh, I thought initially moving free agency back would have been a good idea, but then now I look back and say it would have been a bad idea because how far do you move it back? Because pretty much, you know, it hasn't gotten better since uh, the official start of free agency. In fact, during the course of free agency, now everybody has been, you know, banned from going to the headquarters. You can't get any physicals. You can uh, try to make, you know, everything done from your house and say what you want. It's actually worked reasonably well. Yeah, I think it has. And, I mean, that was part of the calculus at the time when they were talking about moving it back was, well, if we move it back, when do we move it back to? And how can we be sure it'll be okay then and all that kind of stuff? So um, that's the decision they made, for better or for worse. Um, I think, again, no harm done, really, because there's not any in-person activity. You know, if people were going, if people were circumventing the rules and, and going around and sneaking around and getting together for meetings they're not supposed to get together for and all that kind of stuff, then I could see uh, being upset. To this point, we don't have any evidence that that's going on. So um, if everything's being done by phone and video conference and electronically, then signing players isn't necessarily the, the worst thing anybody's doing. No, no. And again, there's been a few little glitches, like, for example, you know, three deals that fell apart, and I think mostly because of yep. you know the inability to get physicals, Michael Brockers being the main one there. You know, he gets a three-year, $30 million deal in uh, with the Baltimore Ravens and then end, end up taking, you know, three years, 24 with the Rams. And you know, we're going to see more of that, I'm sure, because, you know, the way things are, a lot of these agreements that are now going into the system, you know, are done without the physicals, and the physicals will come, you know, when the next time the players report, and that might not be to a training camp, I, I honestly do think there's going to be more deals that will fall apart because of physicals. I agree with you. I think there will be. I, I mean, I think we usually see one or two a year anyway, under normal circumstances, and these are anything but. So I do think that that news will stretch through the summer, and, and my understanding is that some of these contracts that are being agreed to and signed are, you know, have language in them that allows for contingencies if the physicals fail, signing bonus money, repaid, et cetera, et cetera. So I think those are some of the things that are being negotiated in some of these deals because of that. And, and uh, yes, I, I think we, we will have a situation where if there's a training camp that starts on time, 
there will be guys coming into physicals and, and failing them, and either the contract has to be adjusted or, or is voided, and there will be some chaos as a result of that. No question about it. How, and, of course, I mean, everything was kind of thrown together, not thrown together at the last minute, because, again, the, the CBA, which you followed so greatly through the uh, last couple of years, as, uh, was able to get done. But uh, how do you think the CBA is holding up under these circumstances? Uh, because, again, you know, it came right at the start of free agency, getting approved. I believe it's been, like, what, 17 days since they passed that thing, since the voting. I mean, it feels like it's been 17 years. So it, it's amazing. It's only been a little over two weeks since since the voting on the CBA was completed and it was ratified. I think, you know, what you're seeing in terms of the way contracts are signed, there's, there's provisions in there that allow for, you know, teams to exempt certain amounts from the salary cap uh, for free agents that they sign that are already on their team. Joe Looney, who looks like he might be the starting center for the Cowboys now, with Travis Frederick retiring, um, is an example of a guy that got a contract that they can exempt from the salary cap. I, I think it's in terms of how the the CBA has been affected by the events of the world. I'm not sure that we've seen anything uh, with regard to that just yet, and maybe there will be some as it pertains to health care issues for players and former players as we go along, but. Uh, as of now, I think it's just a matter of how the con- uh, contracts are constructed and and uh, and all that. I, I, w- I will say this: it's not CPA related, but I did notice as the deals started to come in, fewer and fewer of them had workout bonuses built into them this year because I think there's a sense that players aren't going to be able to collect those workout bonuses because the workouts that they're tied to aren't going to happen. So I think you're seeing some agents get creative with some of those deals, delaying workout bonus payments until 2021 and beyond, so that they're they don't have to end up fighting for you know, $100,000, $200,000 that their guy would have gotten if there had been a minicamp. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing is that uh, you know the deal's much shorter than uh, in the past. Now, normally you're not going to have a lot of four- and five-year deals, but most of the deals at the first part was three years. And then now all the deals are pretty much one-year deals, which, of course, now you get to go back and try it again the next season. Yeah. I think the shorter-term deals are more a factor of, the sense of, uh, you know, that, that was already around that because of the new TV deals that will kick in in a couple of years, the salary cap growth is projected, I think, to be pretty high two or three years from now. So players might want another bite at the apple once that money starts flowing. So I think that's more a factor of, you know, the conditions that were being projected out over the next couple of years as opposed to anything that's going on in larger society right now. I think players have a sense that by 2022, 2023, the salary cap could be exponentially larger than it is now and if that's the case they're going to want to be able to negotiate new deals in that environment there's two players of course that are on the street maybe three we can throw in who actually is healthy but uh, you know how this has affected you know Jadevian Clowney who obviously is the key right now to what the Seahawk offseason is going to be and they've got Cam Newton you know both have uh, injury histories both probably can't go to a physical at the moment and so because of that you know nothing seems to be happening I know Clowney of course still continues to talk to Pittsburgh but what are you hearing on Clowney what are you hearing on Newton my understanding on Clowney is that the issue has been financial, that his expectations in terms of what he would get on a contract don't really match those of the interested teams, that he was looking for, you know, much more money than people were willing to pay. Uh, so I think that's been the holdup on him. And, yes, of course, he has health issues in his past, and you might want to take a look at him before um, you sign him as a result of that. But I think, you know, if Jadevi and Clowney were looking to you sort of – you know, sort of just top the Darius Smith deal from last year. I think he would have gotten that deal two weeks ago. 
Uh, but if he's looking to try and challenge Khalil Mack's deal, I don't think that's out there for him. So uh, I, my understanding is, yes, of course, as I'm sure you know, I mean, Seattle still wants him back and is hoping that they, they get him back. But, you know, Seattle's not a – they're not going to sit around and wait, right? I mean, if, if all of a sudden – this is this is hypothetical, please. If all of a sudden Seattle had an ability to, to do a deal they liked for Yannick Ngakwe or Matt Judon, you know, all of a sudden that leaves Clowney out of their picture, right? So mm-hmm. – um, I think that you know, he's running that risk. I think he'll obviously get a deal. He'll sign somewhere. But he may end up having to do a one-year prove-it, right? I mean, take my one-year, $17 million, $18 million, whatever, try and hit the market again next year, and maybe I'll find the, uh, the market I imagined all along. And in terms of Cam Newton, I do think it's going to be a matter of teams are going to be weary until they get looked at that foot. And um, I think there's some questions about, you know, because with Cam Newton, it's not just a matter of is he healthy enough to play. It's If it's a foot injury, it's is he healthy enough to be Cam Newton, which means run around, which means, you know, win games with his legs as well as his arms. If he's not that player anymore, then the decision to bring him in and whatever deal you give him looks drastically different than if you can convince yourself that he is. And of course, that's a, that's the thing. And of course, finding out a team right now because there's not a lot of teams at the moment that seem to be looking for a quarterback. I can maybe make a case that New England could do something, and, but I tend to think at the moment it sounds like the Patriots may just want to go with Jared Stidham and Brian Hoyer, and then if they need to, maybe get somebody in the draft. Yeah, and the Chargers, I guess, would be the other place where you look at a potential starter opening. You know, unless I mean they say they're sold on Tyrod Taylor, but. It wouldn't be the first team to say that about Tyrod Taylor and then go a different direction. So, uh, yeah, I think what will happen with the Patriots is they're going to assess the market. I mean, if the price for signing Cam Newton or Jameis Winston drops to a point where they just sort of can't ignore it, then I imagine you'll see him take a shot. But as of now, with the inability to examine him with your own doctors, with no off-season program starting anytime soon, I don't think there's a rush to get either of these guys signed. There's not, it doesn't seem to be a huge market for either one of them right now, uh, James Winston or Cam Newton. And uh, I think they may end up having to wait as a result of that. It's a very rare market where there are more available quarterbacks than there are available starting quarterback jobs. Mm-hmm. What a, what a, and same thing with Jameis Winston. That 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 one, uh, yeah. I, I have struggled all along to figure out where Jameis Winston can end. And I guess now he's joined me in struggling himself to figure out where he's going to go. Yeah, I think look, it's a different issue with Jameis Winston because he's healthy and he's young. And you know, I think someone will bring him in for sure. Whether it's to compete for a starting job, whether it's to back up a veteran and kind of you know work on whatever his issues are turnover wise, you know, in a backup role with a with a smart quarterback coach and offensive coaching staff, maybe rebuilt his career that way. Um, I think he'll end up somewhere for sure. I just I couldn't tell you where because I mean we can speculate, right? I mean like well why not go to Pittsburgh and back up Ben Roethlisberger for a couple of years. He always misses a game or two and even though he's not gonna play forever, maybe that's your spot. Makes a lot of sense, but that doesn't mean Pittsburgh's interested in going that way. You know, can you go to Jacksonville and try and beat out Gardner Minshew in camp? Uh, it's possible, but you know, we have no indication that Jacksonville is leading that way. So I think Jameis Winston is in a period right now where he's sort of recalibrating expectations. Go back two months as a guy that was thinking he was going to get a multi-year deal from the Buccaneers that paid him close to $30 million a year. Obviously, he's not going to get anything close to that from anyone at this point. So I think he's got to reset where he is expectation-wise and what's out there for him. What teams have you liked of uh, what they've done in free agency? I know I had to do some grades uh, for the Washington Post, and I ended up giving like 
five of the top six grades to AFC teams. I gave an A, a grade to Tampa Bay for getting Tom Brady. But which teams have you liked and what, what teams grade well in free agency, trades, and the offseason? Second straight year, I've liked what Buffalo did. Uh, obviously, a big splash and a big price paid for Stephon Diggs in that trade with Minnesota. But otherwise, very uh, what we've become used to in terms of Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean type moves in terms of low key stuff that that fits what they need and kind of builds the kind of roster they're trying to build for a sustained long term success. We know they've been after that number one receiver for a while. Remember they tried to trade for Antonio Brown last year, so uh, they feel like they got it in Stephon Diggs. And they could be pretty dangerous. I like what Baltimore. I mean, I don't. I still understand how you get Calais Campbell for a fifth round pick. Obviously, Brockers would have been helpful, and they wanted him. But uh, overall, I like what they've done. I think um, I don't know if it's an A grade, but I think it bears mentioning that the Atlanta Falcons were a team that I think people thought they wouldn't weren't going to do much because their cap issues. They end up losing Austin Hooper, but they replaced him with Hayden Hurst, who was a first-round pick two years ago, and it got him pretty cheap and traded with Baltimore. He signed Todd Gurley for $6 million. I think given what their restrictions were coming into the offseason, that Atlanta did pretty well for itself. And, of course, yeah, I think you have to, you have to give the top grade to the team that signed Tom Brady. Yeah, no question. That's and that's the, the I think one of the more baffling things is what uh, Bill Belichick is doing because here he is, you know, with a trade, uh, free agency, and all that. You know, they've now lost and uh, cutting and cutting Stephen Goskowski. They're down ten players, and all they've done in return is bring in a fullback and a bunch of special teams backups. And franchise their starting guard Joe Tooney, which has hamstrung them cap wise. Obviously, the Patriots had the oldest roster in the league and want to get younger. Um, my question is, what's that mean? Like, are they really, are they going to kind of take a step back and do a rebuilding here? Because that would seem very out of character. Bill Belichick at this stage in his career, are they going to be able to find a way, you know, Belichick's the ultimate puzzle solver. Are they going to be able to find a way to win in spite of not extending themselves and losing the best quarterback all time in free agency? Uh, I wouldn't bet against him. But it looks like it's going to be looks like it's going to be a challenge. One thing about the Patriots we do know is the off season. They don't view the off season as two weeks in March. I mean, they, they, they their player acquisition phase lasts for months and will continue to to go on, especially in this weird environment where they might be able to fall into some bargains as a result of outside circumstances. Yeah, no question. But what you wonder about is like uh, how how are they going to replace those starters? I mean, you can do some things in the yep. draft, but also you're you're probably not with no offseason program. How much can you count on that rookies? And let's stay on that theme for a second. You know, which players, not individuals, but which type of players are going to be affected now by no uh, workouts, uh, you know, no physicals, you know, no in-person meetings. I think they can cover that up and have covered it up now with conference uh, things on digital. But, uh, you know, what, what uh, I mean, a guy like Tua, I mean, I have to think that he's got to be impacted because there's no recheck of him physically. No recheck. People came, teams came out of the combine with significant concerns. and I think the conversation on Tua is not in the right place. I think what we're talking about is, will he be ready for week one? Would he be able to cut the concerns I hear about Tua from teams our durability, how long will we really last? I'm going to spend the number three, the number five, whatever pick in the draft, or multiple first-round picks to trade up and get him. I need to know I'm going to have that guy for you know 10 years as my franchise quarterback. And if there are questions about his long-term health and durability, that's going to make some teams look, hey, well, maybe should we, should we instead like Jordan Love or Justin Herbert? Or, so I think 
the inability to examine him, the inability to, for him to get the medical recheck, uh, which which players usually get you know month month or so after the combine. I think that that makes it, it throws some murkiness into a situation that would be open and shut. Look, if the guy was healthy, it's a question of who do you take first, him or Joe Burrow? And but we're not in that that space, and because of his immense talent, we're still thinking he's a top three, top five pick. But teams are concerned about long-term durability a lot more than fans are, mock drafters are, etc. So I think there's there's at least it's at least a situation worth watching. Uh, and in terms of uh, other guys in the draft that come in with health concerns, I think there's a chance that they will drop. I absolutely do because you know teams, especially when they're drafting high in the draft, are looking for as sure a thing as possible. They feel like if I'm going to invest this pick, this this significant asset that I have, this high first round pick, uh, I want to make sure that my my chances of not busting on it are as high as possible. Yeah, and I think the other thing I know talking to even general managers last year is that uh, you know what they have concerns about with the, the college players is that uh, many of them come out and you know they're coming out after three years and their bodies may not be ready for the NFL. I mean, they you know they come in yeah. with injury histories and now they get into the league and guess what? They get hurt. And now there's no off-season program to get them in shape. Maybe that means does that mean you if you're if you're looking for a tiebreaker and you have a four year guy and a three year guy maybe you lean toward the four year guy I mean these are the questions that they're all dealing with right now and it'll last right up until you know three weeks from now when the draft starts three weeks from tomorrow when the draft starts and I think it'll be interesting to see what we'll be able to look back after it's over and try and figure out well how did this affect everything would this guy have gone higher if he could have visited teams and they could have had their doctors check him out or if he had gotten his combine medical recheck. You know, would this guy have gone higher if he had had more college experience and it was more faith in his ability to get himself in for the start of a season that uh, remains in question and through an off season that obviously uh, is in serious doubt? So, yeah, those, these are the kinds of sort of nitty gritty conversations that are going on. I would say in draft rooms, but there's nobody even in draft rooms. No. They're all doing it by video conference from their own homes. Um, so it's a it's a weird year, and, and I think there are going to be some weird results from the draft as a result. Well, Dan Graziano from ESPN, uh, I guess we all get to work from home right now and try to get through this tough period of time, but thank you so much for joining us on Schooled with the Professor. John, anytime. My pleasure. And that does it for this week's podcast. In between episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at Clayton ESPN. If you enjoy these weekly one-on-one conversations, consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Schooled with the Professor. Thank you.